Today we resume our study in the book of Acts. Uh, we left off in our study in late June. We went into our study of John. Uh, we have since finished that, and now we are coming back. Uh, the last question I asked in the last sermon I preached in Acts was, how committed to Christ are we to be? In that point in our study, that was the question of the day. How committed to Christ are we to be? Well, now these months later, and having seen through Scripture our Savior Jesus, having seen how great our salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ, again, I ask the question, how committed to Christ are we to be? Is there such a thing as being minimally committed? Is there really such a thing as being nominally committed? And honestly, having seen Jesus, the big question is, how can we be anything less than totally committed to our Savior, Jesus Christ? Today, our verses are verses of transition, and that's going to be a good thing as we transition back into our study this morning. Our message this morning is entitled, The Church of Truth. The Church of Truth. Today, we start back, Acts chapter 18, verses 12 through 21. Again, verses of transition, Acts chapter 18, today, verses 12 through 21. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stay with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the seat, judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sothenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. And since Rhea, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we are thankful for this day. We're thankful for the hope that we have settled in Jesus today. I'm thankful, Lord, that as we were just singing, that there will be a day, an actual literal day when the trump will resound. And Lord Jesus, you will come. And we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, Lord, I pray that we are faithful to your cause, that we are committed to your gospel, that we are proclaimers of your truth. Lord, I, I pray on this day that it would be not a normal day, not a normal hour to endure, to go through, but I pray, Lord, that in this hour you would speak. 
And you would lead and you would teach and you would direct. And I, I pray those that are in the hearing of this message today would be impacted by your words, not mine, but yours. And I pray that that impact would bear much fruit. Lord, I pray that there's some and maybe many that are listening that do not know you. I truly pray that they would be saved in the grace of a loving God and the hearing of the gospel by faith in Jesus this very day. Lord, we give all this to you. We pray that you would ask that you would move and work in it. Our desire is that you be glorified and known through it. We give it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as we start back, remember we are in the book of Acts. Uh, it is also called, and, and, and more probable, uh, more in line with its meaning, it is called the Acts of the Apostles. It was written by Luke as the follow-up to his gospel account. Now, as we went through the gospel of Luke, we see that it's the natural flow. It's the natural conclusion, the second part to his gospel account. Be sure today and understand it is the actual historical account of the formation and the spread of the church of Jesus Christ. It is the Acts of the Apostles, but in it we find the actual, literal, historical account of the formation and the spread of the church of Jesus Christ. Sometimes when people talk about God's plan for the church, they will wonder, well, I wonder what the early church did, or I wonder what the early believers did. Well, this is what they did. This is the account, the record of what they did. We have, we hold the actual record of the formation of the church. Now, I want to tell you what that means. Here we have it. We do possess it. Now, I want to tell you what that means. That means God has preserved it for us. It means God wants us to have it. God wants us to know it. That's what that means. We have this account, and the reason is because God wants us to know it. Now, you might ask the question, why? And I would tell you, I believe it is for this reason. And I want you to listen very carefully. I want you to get this today. I truly do believe, I'm not just saying this, I truly believe God is teaching us as the church in the last days by looking at the church in the first days. Now, I've said that many times. If you remember over the course of this study, I believe that to be true. I believe as Jesus is soon to return, and I believe as we are living in these critical days, God is speaking to us in this study. I believe it's that important. I believe it's that imperative that we would listen to it. In these critical days before Jesus comes again, God is teaching us through this study. Now, here's the question. Are we willing to listen? Are you listening? And let me just say this. Do you think it is a coincidence that people are busy and distracted in these days? Do you think that's some sort of coincidence? Do you think it is a coincidence that COVID has hit during these days? Do, do, do you think that it's a coincidence, look around, that church participation is down? Do you think that's a coincidence? Do you think, well, that's just how it is? Listen, Satan and the world 
do not want you to hear these messages. But I want you to be sure God is preparing us for these last days. I believe it's that big of a deal. God is preparing us for these last days. In one of the gospel accounts, it says when Jesus comes, people will be eating and drinking and giving in marriage. They'll be laughing and joking and they'll be numb to the reality that Jesus is coming. Well, listen, God is instructing us in these days. Here's the question. Will we listen? Will we be prepared? Will we listen? Will we be prepared? All right, let's look at our verses this morning. We'll look at them. We'll travel through them. I'll pull out some points, and then we're going to end with our main point uh, this morning at the end of the, at the conclusion of these verses. Now, again, these are transitional verses. Now, as you read it, if you look into it, they are bridging together the events at this point in Paul's ministry. And that's what these verses are doing. It's making a bridge between some events in Paul's ministry. In chapter 18, we find Paul has been sent out from the church at Antioch. He is traveling and he is preaching the gospel. He is preaching Jesus is the Christ. He has been preaching salvation by faith in Jesus. Well, as he travels and as he preaches the gospel, churches are starting. As people believe the gospel, churches are starting. Now, if you want to know how you start a church, you lead people to Christ and they are the church. Well, that's what is happening. He is traveling around from region to region, from city to city, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are receiving it in faith, and churches are starting. Then we see a second side to his ministry. Then he preaches and teaches to those churches to strengthen those churches. So on the first hand, he preaches the gospel and leads them to Christ. Then he comes along and preaches and teaches strengthening those churches. And under a great effort and under a costly effort, the good news of Jesus is spreading. Now, I want you to see this. Do not lose sight of this. It's all about good news. We read this account, be sure and understand, it's all about good news. It's all about a God that so loves. It's not a duty it's not a religious system that he is installing. It is about the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to me today. It is still about good news. We can be glad in our work. We can smile. Listen, we can smile in our work. We can have joy in our work. Our work is still the spreading of good news. Paul has gone to Corinth. There he is preaching. There the Bible says he is explaining using Scripture, Jesus, as the Christ. Now I'm going to start back and I'm going to read verses 9 through 11 to help us set the context. And the Lord said to Paul, in the night by vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Wow, listen to that. Go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Verse 11, 
And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now that's what he does. That is what has occurred. That is what he is doing. Now we're going to see what happens in response to that. In this, we're going to see three responses to the truth. And that's what I want you to hear. That's what I want you to focus on this morning. We're going to see in their response, three responses to the truth. The first response is this. All right, let's look at verse 12. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. Now, Gallio, he was the Roman authority for the region. Uh, the judgment seat was a raised platform in the central marketplace where he held court, where he would make judgments, where he would announce rulings. Well, the Jewish leaders of the region, seeing what Paul is doing, seeing really the converts that, that Paul is making, they grab Paul and they bring him to the marketplace. They bring him to the judgment seat and they bring him to the Roman court. Verse 13. Saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Verse 13, they bring him there, they make their case. Now in this, we see the first response to the truth. Here's the first response to the truth. People hate it. People hate the truth. They cannot stand it. It convicts them. The truth condemns them. And listen to me, the truth cannot coexist with their agenda and so they hate the truth. That's really the basis for all this. The truth cannot coexist with their agenda, and so they hate the truth. Listen to me, friend, be sure of this. We live in an age today when I will tell you many, many people hate the truth of Jesus Christ. Do not be fooled. Do not be misled. We are living in this day, 2022, when many, many people hate the truth of Jesus Christ. They hate our gospel. They rail against it. They exist in opposition to it. And let me show you this. And strangely today, one of their answers is still to take it to the public court. Did you see that's what happened here? There's a public court and they have a religious issue, and they take Paul there. Well, here in our world, they, ha they still hate the truth, and strangely today, one of the answers is to still take the matter to a public court. Let me show you this. This week happens to be what we call Sanctity of Life Sunday. That's what this week is. And I want you to notice this is one of many issues just going on they take an issue that has been settled in God to a public court and hope for a different answer. Do you understand that's what's happening in our day? You can pick the, you can pick the topic. They take an issue that is resolved and fixed and settled in God and they take it to a public court and they think a jury or, or, or a group of people are going to come up with a better answer. People hate the truth because it cannot coexist with their agenda. And so the first response is this, they hate the truth. 
Now the second response, we continue on. Verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. Verse 15. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. Verse 16. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. Now, it's interesting to me, Gallio happens to be the brother of Seneca, the Roman philosopher. And here he is in his position of authority. Here he is at the judgment seat. And hearing the case, he says this, I don't care. I don't care. This is some religious issue. This is some Jewish issue. And he tells them, this means nothing to me. If this were something that appealed to me, I would deal with it. He says, I care nothing about this, so move along. That brings us to our second response to the truth. And that is, people are indifferent to it. People are indifferent to it. They could not care less. It's nothing they worry about. They they have their ideas, they have their goals, and they are indifferent to the truth. The truth means nothing to them. I'm going to tell you something. It won't be news to you. You'll, You'll know this. Today, I truly believe, this is my opinion, we live in the most mindless generation in the history of our planet. I believe that. We live in the most mindless generation. Today, people are consumed with trivial, nonsensical things that do not matter to anything. They are consumed with anything but matters of truth. And I want you to think about our day, and I'm not picking on you. Watch our day. Look around today. We go around and we stare at little screens. And we roll stuff by and we look at stuff, information that's useless to us. Most of it's just gossip. And we spend our day rolling by these screens. And then we get home and we sit down the small screen and we turn on a larger screen. And there we're going to sit there and we're going to numb our minds and we're going to watch this thing and the next thing and the next thing. And all of that is an attempt to avoid thinking about things that matter. What about this? What about this issue? What about how I lead and and, and manage my home? And we are numbing our minds to the things that are matter. People are indifferent. I think this is very telling. One of the fastest growing segments of our population, and, and it's picking up pace the last two years, last four years, last decade. One of the fastest growing segments of our population are people that are called nuns. N-O-N-E-S. It means they have no religious belief. They actually say, well, what do you believe? And they say, I'm I'm none. I, I believe in nothing. They basically are saying, who knows? We can't know. And, mo- and I think more telling, they're saying this, who cares? Who cares? Well, what, what about life? What about death? What about the purpose of man? What about a creator? What about what happens after this? Who cares? We can't know. Who cares? Mark me as none. They are indifferent. 
That brings us to the last response. Let me start in verse 17. And they all took hold of Sothenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, it says that this guy became a believer. Now, I don't know if he became a believer before or after his beating, probably before, and that's why they're beating him. But he becomes a believer. They beat him here at the court, and Gallio doesn't care about that either. Verse 18. Paul having remained many remained, Paul having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. With him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Centuria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. Now, Paul, because Gallio doesn't care, he stays on longer. He continues to preach there. But then at one point, he decides to move on. An interesting, weird part, it says he cuts his hair. Now, this was a show of devotion to God. Most likely, it was thanking God for his hand of, of guidance and favor during his time there. It was a Jewish custom. It was a Nazarite vow. So he decides to move on. He cuts his hair. Verse 19. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Very interesting in verse 19. In verse 19, he goes to the synagogue, and he reasons with the Jews. Now, if you want to go back and look at the previous four or five chapters, notice how much of his trouble starts when he goes to the synagogue and begins to reason with the Jews. That's where his trouble starts. Guess what he does? He goes right back to it. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to duck that. I'm going to dodge that. He goes right back to it. The people that were persecuting him, he goes right in there and he begins reasoning. The word reason means he dialogued with them. He got out the scriptures and he began telling them, Jesus is the Christ. Verse 20 and 21. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them, saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. The third response to the truth, many hated it. Some are indifferent to it. The third response is this, but a few committed to it. They couldn't let it go. It was too important. It, it was the truth after all. How do you set down the truth? How do you ignore the truth? How do you act like you never found the truth? They couldn't let it go. It's how people will be saved in God's grace by the hearing of the truth. And so a few people committed to the truth. And with that, Paul is set up for his next adventure. We'll start there next time. Here's the question. So what about us? So what about us? As we start back in our study of Acts, listen, this isn't a study for the sake of a study. Having finished John, having seen the glorious picture of our Savior Jesus, 
as God is willing and able to teach us in these last days, as we are existing in these last days, I want to reopen the study with this. And I want you to be certain of it, and here's where we're going to start. Be very sure of this. Listen very carefully. As we restart, hear me. The most important organization in the world is the church of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, that's been discredited and that's been knocked down and that's been laughed out. But I want you to hear me. The most important organization in the world is the church of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? It is not a business I don't care what Bill Gates thinks or says. It is not a corporation. It is not a government. It is not an agency of the government. It is not a nation. It is not NATO. It is not the United Nations. It's not the Center for Disease Control or anybody else. It's not some other group. Listen, the most important organization in this world is the church of Jesus Christ. Listen, believer, that's the truth. The most important organization in the world is the church of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you three reasons. I'm not just going to tell you that. I'm going to give you the reasons. The first reason is this. It is the most important organization. Here's the first reason. Because it is the people of the truth. All these words matter, so listen very carefully. It is the people of the truth. Be very sure. Listen, the church is made up of people of different ages. Just look around this room. Different backgrounds, different educations, different levels of wealth. It is made up of all these different and varied people. But listen, we are unified in the truth of Jesus Christ. You may have come from the north. You may have grown up in the south. You may have this level of wealth. You may have had no education. You may have the most impressive education. But what unifies us is the truth of Jesus Christ. What brings us together is the truth of the gospel. And in that truth, we are together. Get that. We are together in the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And as people of that truth, now here's the deal. With that bond, we encourage one another. We support one one another. We care for one another. We serve the mission with one another. We pray with each other. We uplift and we uphold each other. Very simply, we have a people in the church. In these days, we, we need the unity. We need the fellowship. We need the people of the church. The world is set on our destruction. The world is not for you. The world is against you. And so we need the people of the church. We are encouraged in the church. We are strengthened in the church. We are uplifted in the church. In these days, we need the people of the church. Let me tell you something. In the last days, go to the first days and look at the example. In the last days, a disconnected, disunified church 
will not cut it. Which means this, disconnected, I'm too busy doing something else. Disunified, I'm mad about something or I've decided to do something else. A disconnected, disunified church in the last days will not cut it. We need the people of the church. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. It is the protector of the truth. It's the people of the truth. Here's the second thing. The church is the protector of the truth. Now, we know the truth of the gospel is our good news. That's how we started the study in John. Jesus is the good news. We know the truth of the gospel is how people are going to be saved. And it's the only way. We know that. There's not another way. There's not a backup plan. The truth of the gospel is how people will be saved. We know the truth of the gospel is our hope. And so listen to me. And so Satan attacks that truth. His bullseye is on that truth. He seeks to declare it as outdated. You ever heard that? Well, it's outdated. He seeks to declare it as irrelevant. It's not relevant today. He seeks to declare it as hateful. That's hateful. How are you going to tell me who I can marry? You're full of hate. And so Satan comes along and he seeks to change the word of God, to adapt the word of God, to add to the word of God, to remove from the word of God. His mission is to destroy the truth. And so the church of Jesus Christ is the guard of the truth. Listen to me, hear this. We as believers in the church, we are upholders and defenders. And brother, we better be fierce protectors of the truth of the word of God, the truth of the gospel of Jesus. That is hard, I can tell you that. That's hard. That is hated. You can be sure that it's hated. It is a job that's never done. Listen, a victory today is a new attack tomorrow. You think, well, we got that ironed out. No, Satan's back tomorrow. It starts again. But we must be vigilant. We must be relentless in the protecting of the truth. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says, the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. Listen, folks, we cannot fail here. We cannot fail here. This is the word of God. It is the very word of God. This is the truth from God. It contains our hope. And listen to me today in the church, we must be fierce protectors of the word of God. We must be defenders of the word of God. That is our call. That is our role in the church. We defend the word of God. I watch, and I'll just tell you, I wouldn't say it's sad, but it's more than sad, it's despicable. I watch today as churches fall in that area. Well, we don't want to talk about that area. Well, maybe God has updated it and doing something else. They're led by preachers, pastors, and the pastors are falling. They're not going to take a stand. They're not going to defend the word of God. They'll preach every sense of nonsense, but the word of God, entire denominations are falling away. Well, we're not sure about homosexual pastors. We're not sure about who can marry who, and we don't want to upset anybody. And people are caving, and they're compromising, and they're selling out. Let me tell you something. 
We have nothing outside of this truth. Hey, we got a fancy building, knock it down. Hey, we got some vans we can ride around. We can go to Wichita and go bowling. means nothing. We have nothing outside of this truth. We have no reason to meet. We have no reason to hope. We have no purpose outside of the truth of the word of God. We must defend the word of God. The church is the people of truth. It is the protection of the truth. And the last thing is this. It is the proclaimer of the truth. It is the proclaimer of the truth. Now stay with me. There, we know there is hope in Jesus. We believe that. There is the forgiveness of sin in Jesus. Listen, no sin is too great. Whatever sin you found yourself in, his grace is greater. There is the forgiveness of sin in Jesus. There is eternal life, life that does not end by faith in Jesus. That is the gospel that we believe. But the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. I want to tell you something. It's not enough to have the gospel. And it's not enough to protect the gospel. The gospel must be proclaimed. And our mission, our command as the church is to proclaim the gospel. The reason we exist is the proclamation, the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go back and look through this account in Acts Peter proclaimed the gospel. James and John, they proclaimed the gospel. Philip, he runs up alongside the chariot so he can declare the gospel. Stephen, why is he stoned? For declaring the gospel. Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos, they are proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, the church is a proclaiming church or it is not a church. Today, our mission, our command, our agenda, as the world staggers to its death, as the world is lost and dying, as the world is suffering apart from God, is to get loud and to be bold and to be sure and declare, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. That's our purpose. That's our mission. That's why we exist we're a people of the truth. We encourage each other. We're a protector of the truth. We uphold it. We are proclaimers of the truth. Here's that question again. So how committed are we to the cause of Jesus Christ? I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me. So how committed to, are you to the cause of Jesus Christ? I want you to answer me this. What else could matter? Could build an empire, it'll outlast you. Could have all the fun in the world, won't matter, hill of beans. Could be big, have a big name and a big reputation, it'll fade, they'll forget you. Honestly, friend, I, I looked, it's all that matters. It's really all that matters. When I finished preaching the 100 days, that was hard. I, I didn't really know what to expect. And I'll, I'll be honest, I still feel it today. It, it's hard. It was hard. But the next morning, that 100th day, I remember that day we finished the 100th day. I, I go through it. It's kind of a blur. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. He's able to take it and the, me, the message goes out. And 
we go, we have a, a lunch and it's a great celebration. And I go home and, and we, we celebrate there. And the next morning, the very next morning, a Monday morning, the first thing that hit me, I woke up and I opened my eyes. The first thought that hit me was this. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And here's what I figured out. Now, I'm not saying I could do 110 days. I don't know if I'd want to try that. But here's what I figured out. You can't run fast enough and you can't jump high enough and you can't preach long enough to uphold the glory of our Savior, Jesus. And I, I thought, oh, wow, we'll get 100 days and it'll be the dangest thing you've ever seen. I woke up on the 101st day and I thought, you know what? You can't jump high enough. You can't run fast enough. You can't preach enough sermons to uphold the glory of our Savior, Jesus. But I came up with this idea too. But he sure is worth the effort. Good grief, what else would we do? So let me just tell you this. I'm glad you're here today. Let me tell you this. So here we are. It's no mistake you're here. It's no mistake that you're hearing. And here we are in the last days. A lot of folks have talked about it. I believe we're it. Look around. We're it. Here we are. The church of the last days. And so here's the question. So what will we do? Man, if I were a high schooler, I'd try to lead my high school to Christ. Man, if I were going back to, to a job, I'd, I'd try to lead my workplace to Christ. If I were going to college, I, I, I'd try to lead that college to Christ. If I were, if I were older and, had, and, had, and entered the days of retirement, I'd try to lead everybody I came into contact with to Jesus Christ. Here we are, the church of the last days. We're it. So what will we do? Here's my call. I've said it before. Let's go. It's all that matters. Let's go. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come, and I'm thankful for your word. And I'm thankful for your truth, and I'm thankful for your call. I'm thankful as we see a, a wicked world rare up around us, as we see things we can't even imagine, as we start to long for your coming more and more. Lord, I pray as, as we've shaken out in your will to be these people in these days and in this church, I pray, Lord, that we'd commit to your church. And I pray we'd commit to your word, and I pray we'd commit to the proclamation of it. And I pray we'd set down all the distractions. I pray we'd set out all the things that pull us in different directions and we'd be a people resolved to uphold and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, use us like that. I pray for strength as we go through these days. I pray for wisdom as we walk through it. Most of all, I pray for boldness to uphold the flag of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Use us like that. And Lord, I pray as we wrap up this service, I pray if there's one that's hearing today, I pray if they do not know you, that they would turn to you and they would trust you. Today would be the day of their salvation for your glory. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, we worship you, we submit this to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna conclude with a time of invitation. And I wanna tell you all of this, the upholding of the word of God, the preaching of the word of God is that you would hear that everyone else would hear there is a savior in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus. If you're in the hearing of this message today and you never trusted Jesus as your Lord and savior, I wanna encourage you to do it today. He'll forgive you today. He'll give you eternal life today. If you've never trusted Jesus, do it today. 
In just a few moments, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. If God is speaking to you, you come on. Let's settle it today. If you need more information, you want to talk more about it, you come. Let's settle it today. Maybe you're here and you followed Christ. Maybe sometime recently, maybe it was sometime in the, in the future, in the past, but you're here and you've never followed a believer's baptism. And you need that testimony to stand in obedience to Christ, not as part of your salvation, but as a testimony to it. You come as well, and it'll be a great day of celebration, pointing to the truth, testifying to the truth of our gospel. Maybe you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll serve his cause as his people, his church in these days. Maybe you want to come and pray here at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about or head for an exit, but that you'd pray for those who are making decisions. If God has spoken to you as we stand to sing, you step out. You come on, I'll meet you here. You come on, I'll meet you here.